You are the one we praise. You are the one we adore. Could there be a stronger sentence with which to get ready to hear God's word? I don't know if you always or if we always recognize that worship is the goal. Everything else we do are means to bring people back to worship God. People say, why do we do evangelism? Well, so that they again will recognize that God alone is the one worthy of worship, right? We started with him, all of us in the garden, worshiping God, and sin separated us from God. And ever since, what this has been about is bringing back people back to worship God and him alone, yes? So whatever we do, our means, worship is the goal, right? For all of us, and we are so grateful that he will receive our worship. I was thinking about this morning, uh, we call this all kinds of things, promotion Sunday, whatever it is. The real thing is that we are back, right? We've had a great summer, an amazing summer, really, in many ways, also at church, but we are now back. And some have kind of gotten out of their normal habit to worship. So let me just remind everyone here that we worship in three different ways on Sunday morning. You saw one, it's one of my favorite parts in the early part of the service when all the kids go out and they go and we know they go to worship the Lord, yes? And there, then we worship here in this nine o'clock service in a more traditional way. And then at the uh, 11 o'clock hour, we worship again in a more contemporary kind of style. And uh, so we want to invite everyone, and I hope you all will be on the phone with someone this week reminding them, someone who used to go, someone who should have gone, someone who has never been, and so on, right? People of all ages, all educational level, all racial backgrounds, everyone who has a way of getting here, talk to them about the importance of worshiping God. We have a place for them. We would love to have a time when, <clears throat> when we need to move to not just the three services we have, but to four. How about that? There are enough people in this town, right? Yes? And in this area that we need to reach. And um, let's be keenly aware and engaged in doing just so. Father, as we open your word this morning, would you speak to us about a faith that is living and life-giving? We need to hear from you, Father, at this threshold to a new season, a new fall, a new engagement with ministry, that all focus on one thing, that is to lead people to both a daily and a weekly worship of the only one who is worthy of it, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, I say the word faith, and I just said that, and however many we are here, that's probably however many ways that word was heard. Because everyone has kind of their own kind of thing on that, and there are some things that are common, but, 
But faith really always shapes people. What we believe shapes how we live, how we think, how we talk, how we engage with others, everything. And if you want to know what you really believe, not what you say you believe, what you really believe, just check yourself on all these levels. You know, faith can be uh, many things, right? It can be dry. Some of us know about bone dry faith. It can be pure theory, something that is fun to argue about or, or discuss and rationalistically, you know, you can win the argument or whatever. Faith can be self-righteousness, even if we present it in such a way as if we are saying, well, we know that we are not righteous and all that. But then, you know, before we're done speaking, it sounds like self-righteousness. It can be life-less. Or it can be life-ing, right, living. It can be life-robbing. Or it can be life giving. However you want to construct when you think about that word, what is so clear in scripture, of course, is that Christian faith is a relational faith. And because of that, it is a living faith. It relates to a living God. And it is life-giving because we are learning and we are connected with the one who gives life itself. At least if faith is genuine, that is what comes out. I think most of us have received a, you know, a note of encouragement from someone who was saying something. Maybe they wrote a letter and, <clears throat> and they explained how they were going through very difficult things. And then they thought they were going to give up both on life and God and everything. And then suddenly they realized that God was using this event and they could actually look at this event in a different way and see God's mighty hand. And it turned out to be a tremendous moment of encouragement. Other people come and they just bring that word of redemption or even word of encouragement directly at that moment when we need it. Others again promise to pray and intercede on our behalf, all of that brings encouragement. And I think some of that is exactly what goes on in Paul's mind as he is writing these words. If you have your Bible in second, I mean, in chapter two of Colossians, a desire to encourage the Christians in Colossae to bring forward experience of a living and life-giving God and the faith in him that was so burned into Paul's consciousness. He wanted to see people connected with a living God. He wanted to see people have their lives transformed. He wanted to see people come alive in a new way. And not only in their own faith, but as they shared that faith with others, so they became life givers in a way. And so he wrote the letter to the Colossian church and through that to us who are here today to encourage us, 
to seek God's will, to find his way, and to walk it. Let me read with you all. If you have your Bibles, maybe you can follow along right here if you don't. I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may be may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mysteries of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments, for though I'm absent from you in body, I'm present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one else takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the basic principles on which this, or on the basic principle of this world rather than on Christ. You know, for some people, faith remains somewhat theoretical. We know it's good to have it someplace, but when real everyday life is just lived out, it's not that pertinent to everything. Yet, Paul begs to differ. Faith matters to everything. I had one of the most incredible experiences of that. I was pastoring another church and and one of the uh, secretaries in the church, let's call her Julie. An amazing woman, Wonderfully married, things were great. And her husband, Joe, one day, they were 48 years old, just fell over dead in the living room. Just a stroke, heart attack, just like that. Split second. And everything changed. Most devastating thing I think I've ever experienced. Just like that in the most central, important couple and little family in the church. Of course, Julie, that's what we call her, right? Julie was devastated. How do you ever get out of that? But it didn't take long. And she bounced back and was her usual smiley, loving, caring, wonderful old self. And everybody kind of was frustrated with that. And so people in the church, people on staff, everybody came up with, that can't be. She's putting on a mask or something. I mean, this is just 
put on for her to, you know, kind of do something that looked pious, whatever, something. And people, some got upset, some were kind of indifferent, and some just kind of wrote her off. And so I called her in to the office. And I said, Julie, talk to me. What's going on? And she said, and I'll never forget this. She said, Pastor, when, when Joe died, I thought my life would just collapse. I was literally on my knees hours on hours every day asking God for an explanation. I just couldn't comprehend what was going on. I was reading page upon page upon page of Scripture. And then I got to the passage where Paul and Silas were thrown in jail. Acts chapter 16. They were beaten. They were devastated. They were distraught and they were thrown into the deepest, worst hole. Of captivity. And what they do? They began to praise God. They sang choruses and hymns, praises to God. They were convinced apparently that God had still control in their lives. From that, they were able to sing the most painful situation, and praise flowed from God. I mean, for God, from their lips. And their chains around their legs began to fall off. The gates of prison opened up, and they were free to go, if you will. And I read this, and it became a revelation to me. God had not forgotten me. God was still heavily involved and in control in my life. He would remove the pain of my heart. I just had one task, and that was to praise him. And she said, and I did. I just began to do so. And suddenly... Strangely, I can't explain it. I still can see her face as she's saying this. The chains began to fall off. My my hands, my heart, my legs. The prison that I've been in for weeks on weeks seemed like to open up and I could breathe again and I was free to go. Whether I'm free or in prison, she said, I will praise the Lord. This one of these kind of stories you will just flat never forget. What an example of someone whose faith is truly both alive and life-giving. Amazing. And that, I believe, is the very effect that Paul desired to see among the Christians in Colossae and all those who are reading this letter. Because he says right here in chapter 2, in the very beginning, I write for this purpose, in order that you may be encouraged. 
in heart. That you again be united in love. His desire was for them that they had to, they would know how to pray because notice how he continues here so that you'll have the full riches of complete understanding. That's a prayer for not only a living faith, but for a life-giving faith. Look at verse 1 with me if you have it right there. It says that Paul was struggling for them. Now, how do you struggle for someone in prayer? And actually, the, the Greek word here, agona, kind of where we get agonized from, heavy, pain-inflicted suffering even. I mean, really struggling with everything in you. Well, I thought prayer was just about folding your hands and uttering some words to God, hoping he would hear and, and just trusting that he would. And that's it. How, how is that hard? There's no way that could be hard. And it's not if, if you think that that's what prayer is, that's not hard. But prayer is not first and foremost about kind of arguing with God and asking him that he will bend to your will, so to speak, or, or even asking in such a way that you kind of persuade God in, in one way or another. Real life-changing prayer is an engagement with God that is trying to seek into finding his will. And as we do, pray according to it. Not that we're not asking him to do things so that it will be better for us and helpful for us and we bring our concerns to him, but deep, deep prayer is that. We ask that we will understand his will and be able to see how that will applies to us. That's a struggle, friends. Because suddenly you see your own life and you realize that which I love so much, that which I've always called Christian may need to be adjusted. I may need to have to rethink some things or that which, which I really do not kind of like because I'm fearful of it. I have to share my faith. It can be all kinds of things. That suddenly I have to step out and trust God. Again, I hear that is his will. And just doing that is not easy. So we struggle and fight and engage until God so moves our inner being that we are able to say, I heard it. And I walk it because I want to have a living and a life-giving faith. That's why also I think it is so important to pray in the Holy Spirit, as the Bible says. Romans puts it this way, the Spirit intercedes for us in our weakness. Even teaches us to pray and pray for the things that we don't even know what and how to pray about. 
the Spirit intercedes on our behalf. And I think sometimes we can just kind of skate over verses like this. We read them like there's some kind of abstract, something that's going on beyond us, you know, in the heavenlies that we can't really relate to or something like that. But this is not theory or abstraction. It is moving beyond the point where we seem to say, I prayed about it. What we really meant is that I thought about it. Oh, I prayed about it. That means it crossed my mind for a second. That's not what Paul is talking about. I wonder how many of the issues that are going on in our own lives and even in in the life of a church, maybe even in the life of cities and nations, could have been avoided if we, instead of listening to what everyone else is saying, And instead of jumping on board of some kind of viewpoint, some kind of rational argument, whatever it is, instead have truly sought God's spirit. Asked that he will reveal God's will to us. Friends, as we are standing now at the threshold to a new season for the church, both in terms of this fall and the new ministries that are beginning now and that are continuing after the summer now, but also in the new season as we're looking as a church to have a permanent pastor. May this be what characterizes us. I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you, Paul said, for you to have a living and a life-giving faith. I want you to notice again how strongly this is burned into Paul's consciousness. It is very interesting to me when he says that, that I'm spiritually present and then he uses the language that I see. I see. Just notice that. I rejoice in the order I see among you. Not that I sense. Not that I heard about. Not that I read about through letters people sent me. But I see. He is so engaged in their lives that he was there. Prayer was not superficial. I'll pray for you, and that means that I will, next time I have a prayer, say also bless, or they will be included in the Lord bless the world because you know best, amen. You know those kind of prayers. Ten-second prayers, yes? How is it with your prayer? for your fellow Christian, for your fellow church member, for your neighbor, for your workmates, truly engaging the life where it makes a difference. But I want you to kind of just step a little uh, 
step closer if we can to the text here. Just notice here when Paul says, I delight in the order that I see. For there to be life and for it to be life-giving, there must be order. The word here really kind of is a military word. It talks about an army in which everyone is placed in his or her post. An army where there's order is an army where everyone is there according to their gifts and their calling and their rank if you're in the military, right? And soldier can't show up whenever they feel like it. Oh, we should have been there 30 minutes ago, but I'm sorry, my breakfast was late. It doesn't work that way. You can smile, it's okay, yes? Everybody knows it doesn't work that way. And for Paul, he's using this imagery because for him there's no doubt that the battle is real. He's warning in the strongest way the church not to give in to kind of the worldly way of thinking about life. The captivating and seductive kind of talk that makes them think that being a Christian is not all that different from just being anyone else in society. And he sees that as the attack of the devil. And so he's concerned. So how do we guard against that? We do that when everyone is on their place. The intercessors must be on their place. The leadership must be on their places. The strategists must be on their places. Those who are caretakers must be on their places. Those who are the practical co-workers must be on their places. We can go on and on. As one kind of Greek dictionary said, to best grasp the meaning of this word is to simply realize that's the thing that must be there for the battle to be won. So the encouragement is also for everyone to participate. This is an encouragement, friends. I write this to you for this very purpose, that you may be encouraged. Christ is offering a unique, incredible opportunity for a life that is truly alive, and not only that, that is life-giving to others. How is that not exactly what we want? No one can do this, and we know that alone. I heard someone say actually very, very briefly ago, not very long ago at all, I don't need to go to church. I've read what I need to read and heard the sermons I need to hear. How poverty stricken is a view like that? As we read a text like this, the language from this text is about us together. United in love. Everyone on their place. So that life will spring from this place and will fill this place. I rejoice. Paul says, when I see this among you. But it goes on. 
Christians whose faith is living and, and life-giving are not only characterized by their willingness to engage and struggle even in prayer such a way that it makes a difference. Paul talks about their firmness in faith. Just follow along. We're just simply walking through the text line by line. You know, it's kind of part of human beings, I guess. We kind of waver a little bit here and there. One day this, one day that. A little bit of emotional feeling stuff. We're kind of moving that. And Paul was aware of that. And he wrote to the Ephesians, for example, that, that you're being thrown. You're like babies. You're just being thrown, you know, from here to here, to and fro. Even in, in the Arthur to the Hebrews, he says that, from the time that it's gone, you should have been able to be teachers, but really you, you are still needing to be taught in the beginning things of God. Lots of examples like that. We are being bombarded, friends, like never, ever before, at least in my lifetime, with all kinds of ideas and philosophies and opinions and all of that. And the contrast to all of this morass is the Christian faith and firmness in that in Jesus Christ. Living faith, life-giving faith happens when Christians are unbendable and unstoppable in their commitment to Christ alone. That's what Paul talks about, I think, when he talks about being firm in the faith. Last Sunday, I talked about spiritual, I mean, I was talking about physical disciplines, and we're talking about the Olympics of faith and all of that, and this is kind of what we still see, and you know, you know good and well, I don't have to remind you of that, that fitness is the new midlife crisis, yes? I mean, we even have things we call Fitbits or whatever, right? I mean, God forbid that we took a single step that was not counted, right? I mean, that's... We're just so keen on this stuff, right? We, and we say, why do we need to be so fit? Why do we need to be a care of that? Because we're aware that all the illnesses that comes with this modern world, the way for our body to fight that is to be fit. Now, if that's true of the body, oh my, how much more is that not true of the spirit? Being spiritually fit. And Paul is aware of that. Even then, we think, well, we're so much further along that they were then. No, we are just getting kind of close back to how bad it was then. And so he says, spiritual exercise is good for something, but, I mean, physical exercise is good for something, but spiritual exercise is good for all things. So, may that be. All the illnesses, if you will. How do you kind of stop for that? How do you fight against that in your own spiritual life even? And certainly in the life also of a church. Well, the book of Romans says, be transformed in your mind. Think differently about who God is and how you, who you are and what the world is all about. In this text, verse 8, Spiritual discipline is important so that no one will catch you with deceptive and hollow philosophy. 
things that are going around. And you know, this is the amazing thing about Christ. You will never, ever exhaust his riches. You just will never do so. The depth of his riches goes beyond even a lifetime of complete, utter dedication. No matter, no matter how long you've known him, you will still see new depth. An emotional level, your ability to receive and to give love will be strengthened. On the level of the will, your obedience and your ability to discover his ways and to follow them will be strengthened. Even on the level of health, you will discover that continued healing of your inner being will go on and continue to just heal up the wounds of your soul. Christians with a living and a life-giving faith are characterized by the fact that they are eager to participate in spiritual exercise. I'm going to close this up by simply noticing the imagery Paul uses here as briefly as he he does it. It's so full of power. Verse 7. Just a string of, of mental images that are kind of conjuring up. I mean, leaping from the pages of the text. First, he speaks about being rooted, which leads our thoughts to a tree planted by the water. And it will stand firm regardless of the winds and the storms. All the branches may be blown off if the storm is hard enough, but the roots are strong and the tree will come back. The next imagery he is using, that mental picture, if you will, is about being built up and it reminds us of a strong building set on the right kind of foundation. And it will stand. And you know, sometimes when they change the codes, I used to live in Florida, right? In old houses in Florida, roofs blow off for nothing. New houses, every single tile is tied down according to code. Yes? Build up in the strongest way possible. As things around us change, still build up. Next Picture, being taught as you were taught, reminds us of a school situation. You need to learn to be able to handle the tasks that are placed before you. And then the last of these pictures, is one verse, it's just like one picture after the other, is overflowing. Kind of bringing your mind to a river that runs through dry and arid land to bring new life. The Bible, friends, talks to us 
directly about being Christians with a faith that is living and life-giving. It's about letting Christ completely determine who you are and what you're about. All levels, all areas of your life. Imagine this. This was not just something that the preacher said. But this was something that began to grow in your heart. Rooted. Build up. Strengthen. Imagine that for everyone right here. What can God not do? Yes? May we pray? Can I ask you all to stand? And as we pray, and as you pray personally, make decisions, friends, to engage in spiritual discipline. As if the health of your life depended upon it. Why? Because it does. Father, speak to us even as we hear these words from your holy word. May we know, Lord, that you're interested in seeing a vibrant and life-giving faith, not just for us, but all those around us, people of all, all backgrounds, every age, every social background, every ethnic background, everything, Father, speak to us about the need for spiritual discipline. And Father, we know there may be some here even this morning who said, I need to even begin this. I'm so unfit spiritually, I haven't even been engaged in this. In fact, I don't even know that I knew that I had to. Father, for those, would you call them out? Give them the boldness to say, I just need to start. I need to join up in the spiritual gym, so to speak. And be part of it. Father, those who were just walking through life and not really knowing the power of saying Christ alone, would you speak to them even now? There's some here this morning can't say, I know Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. This is the time to surrender your life. Father, I also recognize that, that this message has a different application specifically, concretely, to everyone in here. Someone needs to do a phone call. Someone needs to write a letter. Someone needs to get out and talk to their neighbors. Someone needs to just spend way more time on their knees. Whatever it is, would you speak to us directly, personally and powerfully? Amen. Amen. We're going to sing a song, friends, and, and the steps here are open for you. If you want to come pray, grab someone's hand, come up here, however God speaks to you, or sit, stand right where you are, sit down in the pew, however God speaks. Don't let it pass as if it didn't matter.